0: Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, joined today by Harriet Russell. How are you doing, Harriet? Yeah,
1: good thanks, John.
0: Excellent. And Julia Forshaw, how are you doing? Good, John. Excellent. Lots of news this week. The world's gone slightly mad today uh, mm-hmm. for uh, obvious reasons. I'm in a huge panic because it's our walls tonight. I've been busy writing speeches and ironing shirts and such the like, which I don't usually do, as you'll uh, <laughs> you bear witness to. Um, where do we start? Um, let's start with the news section. We're going to talk about retail mainly today and various things in the travel and leisure sector because we've had some interesting news there from the airlines in particular, but That's also right. also gambling. Let's start with, uh, with retail, uh, which is the lead story in the news section. This is about fast fashion. Yeah. What is going on here?
2: It's it's a funny one. Basically, we uh, we were following up on a, on a piece that the FT actually published first, but we've sort of put our own kind of analysis onto it. Um, what they had reported on was the fact that the Environmental Audit Committee, which is a parliamentary committee, has sent letters to several fast fashion companies, um, which include the likes of ASOS and Boohoo, but also Amazon is included on that list. Um basically demanding to know how they're going to tackle issues over sustainability in that particular part of the apparel market. It's been a big challenge. And I think a lot of this sort of ethical decision making is having a spotlight shone on it quite suddenly.
0: Yeah, I mean, cheap clothes has been a bit of an issue for some time. Obviously, Mm. um, there were concerns around the supply chains. Of, uh, of in fact, all retailers after some 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 pretty horrific accidents, at manufacturing sites out in I think it was Bangladesh was the was the worst one.
2: Yeah, that was a Primark accident.
0: Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. So there was there was a lot of tightening of supply chains there. But this is something slightly different. This is so when you say fast fashion, this is clothes that are produced very quickly to to hit sort of current market trends.
2: Yeah, and and, and, and often in the UK. Yeah, well, I was going to say that. The biggest difference is that we're actually talking about manufacturing issues much closer to home. Um, this isn't just um, a sort of well-trodden story about abuse of labour mar- labor markets in the Far East or, or other regions like India or Bangladesh. This is actually a story that's um, as close to London as Leicester. Um, there's been a lot of criticism over the manufacturing suppliers up there that are used by people like ASOS and Boohoo. And amongst other things, you know, illegally low wages. But the audit committee is now slightly more preoccupied. Um, Labour laws are still high on their list, but they're, they're also preoccupied with the actual environmental damage that is done by these companies, which sell extraordinarily cheap clothing that teenagers and young people buy in the bucket load only to wear it once and throw it away yeah, afterwards throw,
0: throw away fashion i think i think they call it
2: yeah and people may have read in, in the broadsheets you know a lot of coverage over our relationship with china they buy a lot of our recycling particularly when it comes to textiles recycling and they're starting to put their foot down they're saying we, we just can't take any more the volume is just absolutely ridiculous and our own landfills here are overflowing so it seems like the government is trying to get a little bit tougher on just what these companies contribute to that
0: yeah so, so, what could the implications of this review be? I mean, what what is the risk to companies like Asos and Boohoo? Um, sh- should the should the parliamentary committee find something that that it wants tackled?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, this is sort of our own. This is where sort of the FT stops, and I suppose the IC steps in uh, because from my own sort of um, following of vice stocks, which is obviously now Julia's remit, but and which we'll
0: talk about very shortly, because that's the subject of uh, Mark Robinson's taking stock this week.
2: Yeah. Um, vice is obviously um, a sort of subsector of travel and leisure and you have companies like tobacco and gambling falling into that category and obviously for many many years now those industries have been subject to heightened regulation and more taxes pretty much every single year um, in order to sort of keep them in line and make sure they're not doing as much damage I mean one of the biggest stories for Julia this year has obviously been the fixed odds betting terminals which are in the news again
0: this week we'll talk about that
2: <laughs> um, but uh, so I I've, I've made the sort of judgment that i think it's not out of the realm of possibility that these companies could be facing some sort of environmental tax um in the future on the sales that they make possibly within this country possibly globally you know internet asos is a hugely international business so i don't know whether the parliamentary committee might struggle to get you know taxes applied overseas in the same way. But I do think sustainability is going to become a much bigger theme in this sector overall. So I wouldn't be surprised to see other countries imposing similar legislation in the way that tobacco has as well. Yeah, I mean, uh,
0: you, you might also think that if these companies are sort of labelled as uh, environmentally damaging, that, that might limit the ima- the number of fund managers who are prepared to buy them, given that ethical Absolutely. investment concerns are, are increasingly uh, behind a lot of the decisions they make.
2: Yeah, and, it, you know, the, the point about taxes and why they're so... Um, effective is that in order to make up that cost, ASOS and Boohoo would inevitably have to raise prices so the consumer is also affected. But price is pretty much the most important factor for these companies when it comes to maintaining market share, when it comes to beating the competition, keeping volumes up. So it might also deter, you know, their their core demographic. Mm. Um, so the implications could be, you know, pretty widespread actually.
0: So, so not an immediate concern for profits, but something to watch on the horizon.
2: Yeah, it's definitely going to be a concern Consistent theme, I think. It's not something that's going to go away.
0: Mm, absolutely. Um, you talked about Vice. Um, two bits of news in the magazine this week. Uh, one is Fixed Odds Betting um, and the, uh, the uh, maximum stakes that can be used on Fixed Odds Betting terminals. It was the first parliamentary rebellion of the week, um, which has brought forward the date upon which the, uh, the, the new rules are going to come into force.
1: Yes, that's right. Well, originally, the idea had been that they would come into effect in April and then in the budget um, in October, Philip Hammond pushed that back to October.
0: 2019. That's
1: right. Yeah. And then he there was so much pressure from Parliament after that, that he's now reversed his stance and brought it back up to April again, which makes sense in the sense that it's the beginning of the tax year. But it's a big step down on his part.
0: Did, did it have much of an effect on the uh, share prices of the companies within the sector?
1: Uh, today, they're down. They're up a bit yesterday, um, especially GVC, because it... The timing of the payments um, of, regarding Talladbrooks would have been favorable, more favorable for them, if it had been pushed to October, mm-hmm. um, or if it was pushed to April. And but today they're all down because the big, the three biggest players that are affected are GVC and also William Hill and Paddy Power Betfair, and they're all down between about three and five percent today.
0: Yeah, although the markets. Uh pretty fraught place yeah, today yeah. anyway um the, the other vice uh, sector that you cover is tobacco which is the subject of taken stock as i mentioned uh, and there's been some news from the u.s here which has hit, hit some some of the companies in that sector particularly hard
1: that's right uh, the the food and drug administration in the u.s which is the the regulator there they have, are apparently getting ready to ban the sale of menthol cigarettes which is particularly bad news for british american tobacco and to some extent imperial brands but less so
0: yeah, why why menthol in particular? Is there uh...
1: apparently they find that menthol cigarettes are more difficult for smokers to quit than the traditional traditional kind.
0: Okay, apparently. Um, so, so uh, I mean, you mentioned that it's hit both companies, but b- BAT slightly harder. Yeah,
1: bats significantly harder. Is
0: this anything to do with their recent acquisition out there?
1: Yeah, I mean, they have a much greater exposure to the U.S. than Imperial Brands does, uh, which was made increasingly more so with the acquisition of Reynolds. And Reynolds owns this brand called Newport, which is one of the biggest-selling menthol cigarette brands in the U.S. So this looks like particularly bad news for them.
0: Mm. So is it all over for tobacco stocks? I mean, these have been stalwarts. You know, defensives. People, you know, don't don't really stop smoking uh, that no. much. We have seen declining smoking rates in in, in Western economies, but uh, you know, there are still a lot of smokers out there. But is is this the kind of end game now?
1: I mean. It depends what sort of time frame you're think- looking at, I think, because both stocks feature on our income majors list. Imperial Brands has for a while, and the acquisition of Reynolds pushed BATS onto it as well. Although but it's now
0: lost 42% of its value over yeah. the past year.
1: But uh, we have Imperial Brands on a buy. And I think that that's, it, at least over the medium term, is a prudent move because they've committed to these like 10% increases in the dividend every year over the medium term. So far, that seems to be quite well covered by cash flows i mean these businesses are highly cash generative at least now anyway every year the volume of traditional cigarettes sold falls and falls and falls but there's still the 97 or 90 something percent of revenue for both of them too Mm. but then also both have done quite well in innovation and looking at these like next generation products and how they can kind of this might sound harsh but keep their customers addicted in a different sense something that's maybe more in a more friendly. healthy sense yeah, more <laughs> regulator friendly sense but so over the medium term especially imperial brands i think it's still worth buying those shares over the long term we'll see if they can actually manage that shift from people smoking traditional cigarettes to maybe using a vapor product instead yeah if that can kind of continue to i don't know hold up cash flows but in the meantime it has
0: yeah, it's uh, it, nevertheless a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, a difficult time for that industry, and uh, certainly one that's testing uh, testing investors uh, yeah, somewhat no at the moment. Um, let's let's flip back to the news. Uh, you've now picked up the pharmaceutical beat again, Harriet, which is what you first <laughs> covered at the, at the magazine.
2: Yeah, back on the healthcare horse.
0: Um, and there's been some uh, talking of dividend majors. This is this is uh, news from one of the uh, other big companies that features on that dividend majors list, income majors list. Sorry, uh, AstraZeneca.
2: Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it had it uh, a third quarter, um, actually almost a week ago, given the sort of produ- production time of the magazine, but uh, it's uh, it, it was a very interesting update. Um, obviously, uh, those readers who are familiar with the stock will um, know that for many, many years, back when I first covered The Beat... Um, The company was promising that in the long term, it was going to fundamentally shift its business model from a very traditional backbone of respiratory drugs into innovation and ultimately cancer and oncology. And those really have been the buzzwords in pharmaceuticals for as long as I've been familiar with with the industry. but finally, in the third quarter of 2018, it seems that pursuing that strategy for Astra is starting to pay off.
0: So, so there's two two developments there. One is that it's managed to se- it's managed to sell some uh, respiratory products. Mm-hmm. Tell, tell us about that.
2: Well, it's um, it's divesting um, these sort of what they now. Deem non-core medicines so medicines that are sort of incidental i suppose to their growth so they earn a fair bit of money but it's nothing material and it's certainly not going to ramp up in the long term if anything it will just lose patent exclusivity pretty quickly and face generic competition so um they actually had we only made one of those um updates into this particular news story but they actually had three divestment announcements last week um all in sort of fairly immaterial um payments but it but it does it does show that over the longer term this is what they're going to pursue and then in the third quarter uh the main sort of product sales if you like were mostly buoyed by sales of new cancer drugs which is exactly what they've been promising for a long time
0: yeah so has it been enough to shift us back onto the buy list
2: (laughs) well not in this particular story, but it's certainly one that I'm going to have a closer look at in the next few weeks, perhaps, because uh, you know it's obviously its big counterpart is is GSK, which is pursuing a very different kind of strategy. Um, so the two businesses, in my opinion, have never looked more different, and they're two different kinds of bets. You know, taking over from Megan on this beat, she was ultimately bullish on GSK, um, but it, it's not it's not the same company, and therefore it would be quite plausible to have a buy case on GSK and a buy case for AstraZeneca. Um, we would just urge readers to try and look at the stories fairly independently.
0: Yeah, and, th- and there are still some, I mean, despite the good news this week from AstraZeneca, there are still some risks to, to its ability to, to execute the strategy.
2: Yeah, absolutely. If anything, I would say AstraZeneca is the higher risk business model because it's a lot more value tied up in the in the development pipeline, you know, and what the development pipeline means is ultimately uh, clinical Trial risk um, and and risk of, of big high profile failures. I mean, for a business like this, despite its scale, despite despite its size, you know, having a big cancer drug fail, even in a preliminary trial, um, let alone a phase three, can be massively destabilising. So uh, yeah, there's there's still plenty of risk there. But still a hold for now. For now, um,
0: same page, Julia. Flybe. This is a this is potentially the end of a sorry saga.
1: Yeah, in the airline it's, it's industry. It's not looking very good for Flybe at the moment, but. Potentially, it could be a turnaround if they do manage to find a buyer. Now that it's put itself, put itself up for sale,
0: yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fascinating story. I mean, Flybe uh, floated a few years back, and the shares have have, have been on a, a downward, losing altitude ever since. Uh, they did bounce a bit on this news. I guess hopes of a white knight have uh, have given them a bit of a boost. But but yeah, Flybe, tell us. I mean, how has it got itself in this state? Before we we talk about how it's going to get itself out of it.
1: Yeah. Well, at the moment, it's just basically been focusing on reversing mistakes that it's made in the past. Uh, Previously it was so focused on expanding its capacity and just did so at a far too rapid rate and only to realize that they weren't filling the seats and so they're in the process of still trying to scale that back now. And over the period they made progress. I mean capacity was down 9% load factor improved from 76% to 84%. Load it's, factor that's being... Being basically the percent of seats on the planes that are filled. Yeah.
0: And Because that, that, I looked at these before the results announcement. And I think when I looked at it, load factor was around 75%, which is... Which is very which is, uh, Yeah, com- when
1: you compare it to like a, an EasyJet or Orion Air, which are in the high 90s consistently, it's just it pales in comparison.
0: Yeah. So, so who potentially is going to buy this? And and would it be an appalling decision to buy uh, an airline that has had so many problems over the years?
1: Uh, well, the first one that popped into mind was Stobart Group, mainly because at the beginning of this year, they were in discussions with Flyby potentially buy them. And then in March, they announced that they just couldn't reach a deal and it had all fallen through. Mm. And incidentally, that was uh, rumored to be what uh, spurred the board infighting at Stobart Group that progressed uh, during the middle of this year. But yeah, they they would be likely the most likely one. Mm. But um, EasyJet well- has since come out and said that they would potentially look at not buying the whole business, but potentially bits and pieces of it, like t- certain...
0: Taking route, certain routes or la- right. landing yeah. slots or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, I mean, because it's, it's a lot of its business is domestic, uh, so UK flights, you know, internal UK flights. Um, and, and obviously, I guess one of the main rationale uh, for Stobar being potentially interested is that Bay are uh, quite a big customer of, of Stobar in terms of its landing slots at Southend Airport.
1: Yeah, that's right. But the plan was that that was going to be scaled back by 2020. So in theory, you would think that... If Stobart does go and buy Flybe, then that might change. So it might, in that sense, be quite beneficial for Stobart.
0: Yeah, although they've done a deal with Ryanair to, to, yeah, take, Ryanair to take a lot is, of capacity at Southend.
1: It is. Yeah, Ryanair is basing a lot more plane or planning to base a lot more planes there. So see how that can they can do that balancing act.
0: So what, what do we now think about the shares? Um, we, we we have actually got this one right. We've had them on a sale for quite some time. Yeah, we have had them um, on a sell
1: for quite some time. And uh, yesterday the shares bounced a bit. And we did move them from a sell to a hold. And I was quite torn on the matter because, I mean, the business isn't in good shape. And there's if a the buyer doesn't come through, then that will be a huge disappointment. But if one does come through, then you could see shares bounce up significantly more. So in the meantime, while they're in this negotiation process, I thought it was most prudent to just kind of move to the sidelines and stick with a hold.
0: I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. Uh, there's been some other interesting news from uh, from one of your companies this week. Actually, um, w- May One May has gone this week. It's not the May that most people would like to go this week. It's <laughs> it's the chief executive of
1: Patissery Valerie,
0: whose name is Paul May. Paul May. That's right. What the what is going on there?
1: Uh, no one really knows, and that's kind of the problem. I think, but. Uh Yeah, I mean, it's not really surprising, is it? The chief financial officer was arrested and then released and they still haven't come up with any idea of what actually happened with its accounts. It's going to be some kind of fraud. We don't really know what kind of fraud. But yeah, I think that it boils down to the problem is no one really knows what happened.
0: There was a big shareholder meeting, wasn't there? There was. Presumably that didn't go so well.
1: No, it was an absolute disaster, apparently. And he was just getting grilled the whole time. So the fact that he's gone is not particularly a surprise.
0: Shares aren't trading yet, are they? No, they're still suspended. Okay, well, watch this space. Um, Let's quickly turn to the results section, because uh, I know both of you have had a a very busy week um, writing results. Uh, Sainsbury's, the lead result this week. I think we spoke about them very briefly last week.
2: Yeah, we did. Did
0: we get any more flavour of what's going on there from uh, from the result statement?
2: Uh, not really, because of course they're they're tied up in this uh, CMA investigation as to uh, you know in regard to their potential merger with uh, with Asda, and so for now a lot of the numbers are kind of. I suppose the numbers aren't treading water, but but the shares are because people are waiting for a decision from the regulator either way. and the, And the decision could be so varying. I mean, in terms of what they've found so far, it's already in stage two. They have found a significant amount of areas in which Sainsbury's and Asda overlap in a geographical sense. So it will be interesting to see whether the regulator imposes any kind of disposals on this merger in a way because it didn't with Tesco and Booker.
0: But they were different businesses.
2: Indeed. And the, the the main difference is that I like to refer to it as Tesco and Booker being a vertical um, sort of tie up, whereas this one is much more horizontal. It's about spread as opposed to supply chain integration. Um, so, yes, I think the regulator could find justification for imposing a different set of limitations on this deal in a way that it couldn't with Tesco Booker.
0: It's quite interesting, though. Their shares have done quite well. This year.
2: They have done well. Um, th- there was a good response to the Asda tie-up when it when it was first mooted, more so, I think, than people um, expected. And I think it's because of everything else going on in this sector. We're going to hopefully prepare a much bigger report on grocers and supermarkets for our new Alpha product. But we're sort of waiting for a decision to be made with Sainsbury's Asda. But, you know, it's, it's been a huge um, sort of cons- consolidation theme throughout this whole part of the market because they just can't defend themselves on their own in the way that they used to it's mm. going under a significant structural shift
0: it's becoming a much more interesting sector than it used to be i mean you know what, i mean the the business of selling food has, has changed to obviously over the years the business of selling food and general merchandise but now you've got the three big players in the uk all pursuing very different strategies
2: different but ultimately with the same motivation which is that they have to defend themselves against two ends of the market which is amazon um, which not only owns the internet but also is starting to explore its sort of the premium end of the market with its Whole Foods acquisition, and then obviously the the German discounters are still winning market share month on month. So. Um you're sort of fighting on two fronts and the, this issue of the squeeze middle which is you know a war, well-trodden phrase in, in supermarkets um, has never been more true but it's also never been more complicated so mm. uh, it's interesting to see how Sainsbury's and Tesco and Morrison's are, are each going to fight that
0: Have we heard much from Tesco about its new discount venture? Is it Jax? Jax, yeah no. I, know, I know that the FT spent some time mm. going around its shops our, our former editor in fact who's now the retail correspondent there Yeah. spent some time in a Jax <laughs> it looked pretty grim
2: it, well it's sort of designed to be in the, <laughs> in the nicest way possible it's uh, Actually,
0: but I, can't, I like a little.
2: well yeah I know, mean it's... this is Tesco's answer to Lidl mm, I'm not um, sure about that and yeah they they had two trial stores a couple of months ago um, that opened sort of in the in the southeast and uh yeah it it was interesting there are there are a few photographs they're easily searchable on the internet if anyone's interested to have a look but but the idea is that they are producing a much more sort of value orientated um position so that you know their traditional customers could have the option to trade down if they wanted to while still remaining loyal to the Tesco brand mm.
0: talking of food let's um Let's quickly touch on Premier Foods. They've, uh, that's one of yours this week. I mean, in fact, you've both written, I, I, as I was reading it, I, I know your initials quite a lot throughout the uh, results <laughs> section this week. You've obviously been uh, very busy. Premier Foods, again, a business that has been through the wars somewhat. Uh, what, what's going on here? Uh, I bad, This was a bad mistake of mine tipping this one years ago. <laughs> oh, did you? I didn't realize that. Yeah, I oh. did indeed. Yeah. Well,
1: I mean, so the current management team, since they've been in there, they they've made progress. I mean, debt has it's still very high, but it's halved from like the billion pounds worth of debt that they inherited when they came in. So comparatively, it's doing a bit better. But yeah, its latest development is it's decided to put its custard business Ambrosia up for sale. Custard, I, have to, cust- I have
2: to say that this story, I edited this story. <laughs> it contains possibly the most sophisticated pun I've ever read by an IC writer. Go for it. Well, uh, Julia, you be honest, you wrote it. I will,
1: <laughs> I will be completely honest and say it was entirely unintended. <laughs> but yeah, it's a custard business. And apparently when you're making custard, so Harriet tells me, separation is a big problem. And so when I was speaking to the chief financial officer, on the phone, he told me that Ambrosia kind of made the most sense to sell because it was the most easy to separate. And so I put that phrase into the coffee <laughs> completely unaware that this is actually quite a big problem when making custard i, I have to say Harriet I'll, just yeah she found it quite hilarious i would
0: have missed that entirely too because i don't make my own custard
1: i buy it well from yeah
0: <laughs> ready made um yeah interesting uh this business it's been slimming itself down for years it sold off things like uh, corn which is another thing i eat, eat lots of we seem to sell the best bits and often wonder what's left of it but but there you go There you go.
2: That's a real challenge though, isn't it? I mean, that was something we were talking about when they came out is you know, are these sorts of sales, you have to look at it in broader contexts, like the pub groups, for instance, have for years been forced to sell off their best assets in times gone by, which leaves you with, you know, an estate full of crappy properties. And, you know, could these businesses that are ultimately made up of either conglomerates or, or multiple brands
1: be going the same way?
0: Yeah, well, Diageo sold a few brands this week. Although yeah, I, they I, did.
1: I, they sold uh, nineteen, and 19 of the not very nice brands too. Well, so.
0: I don't. Nobody seems sure. Uh, they, they got what was quite a handsome price for for a number of brands that nobody was really very aware of.
1: Yeah, I think they're bigger in the US because they seem to be maybe a bit more recognisable to me than North American, not American, but. Uh, yeah, no, it's kind of. I think Diageo has been quite good at focusing on the trend in that maybe millennials aren't drinking as much as their previous generations did, but when they do drink it seems to be the more high quality stuff so it's the craft beers it's the premium spirits so Tiajo yeah, sure, just thought it was prudent to get rid of some of these cheaper not very nice ones
0: Fair. I would say not very nice I think maybe cheap less well known less popular mm. <laughs> um, let's talk about B&M because that was a tip last week and mm. uh, they surprised us with a unscheduled results? Well
2: it, it depends what you sort of mean by unscheduled because it wasn't a profit warning. The main example that we have of unscheduled results is always that there's you know something that they have to tell the market about immediately. It wasn't a profit warning but it also wasn't good so I can understand why they had not been put into the financial calendar for
0: the company. Good in the sense that the top line is not growing as quickly as as it had been previously.
2: Yeah, and it's it's mainly limited to the UK. I mean, they are an international business because they have a German um, sort of division known as Yavol, and then they have just um, announced this acquisition of Babu in France, which was a big motivator for doing the tip uh, last week. Its track record, particularly when it comes to things like return on capital employed, is actually very strong. Um, And we had sort of hoped that the UK business would tick along whilst they pursued this European expansion. Unfortunately, what these results showed was that performance in the UK, at least on an underlying basis, was completely flat, um, which spooked a lot of people. Because as we were saying with Phil, actually, on the podcast last week, um, this year, which has been horrendous for retail really all round, what has held up quite well is the discount end of the market.
0: Mm. This is something you're looking at, actually, in in a feature
2: yeah. yeah. A couple of weeks. We're gonna look at luxury versus discount and sort of try and ignore the squeeze middle for once, I think. And try and look at this whole, yeah, budget versus bling I think is the is the working title. But um yeah, this I think the market was largely spooked by the idea that discounters may have peaked this year and maybe trying to repeat their performance over the last 18 months is going to be a harder task. We had actually mooted that as part of BNM earlier in the year, um, which had kept us on hold for quite a long time with them. But I I do still think I have kept it um, on the live tip. And I think the reason for that is because the the opportunities that they have to pursue this European um, expansion is is still very ripe, and if they can get that right, then hopefully um, that'll be sort of the main motivator for for a lot of the future growth.
0: Yeah, I, t- I, mean, I think October was a pretty horrible month for retail generally. There were some figures out today, which well, which I suspect everybody missed because they would been looking at something else going I did on not, in Parliament. Because- <laughs> Because you're you're a professional.
2: (laughs) No, they were down 0.4% from the ONS, um, which actually is not the most dramatic fall we've had on a monthly basis this year. But of course, what is happening now, which will be the topic of um, this week's coming sector focus. So... Not in the mag this week. But of course, we're looking at Black Friday now. And what you have is a twofold effect. You get pull forward on Christmas. So Christmas sales don't look nearly as good as they used to. Certainly the weeks before Christmas, sort of one or two beforehand, can be really weak now. Um, But what you also get in the months of um, October in particular and early November is a complete quietening from retail consumers because they're waiting in hot pursuit of those discounts that are going to hit us um, towards the end of next week.
0: I can't wait. Can't we all? Um, There are some other results. that They're not retail results. They're related to retail um, from the property sector. Mm. The big uh, REITs, British Land uh, and Land Securities, both had results. Both both are having a a bit of a tough time because of retail. Uh, And in the case of British Land, reducing their their retail exposure, which seems quite sensible.
2: Definitely. I mean, the two sectors have been so interrelated this year more so than in all of my years here at the ic but um it's certainly an, an interesting context because in the seven days section this week we're talking about the fact that house of fraser yesterday uh which has been bought by sports direct um has failed to negotiate new rents on four of its big stores
0: it, it, they were owned by into which is another big uh big listed landlord mm. I, th- I thought that was quite interesting i did i did a little bit of reading on that this morning and into basically said we can do better
2: yeah well i mean it's it's interesting because jonas obviously who's our property guru is not here to sort of defend that sector but what i have said for a long time is wh- what do these landlords actually want do they want companies declaring cvas and sort of effectively declaring themselves 50 percent bankrupt so that they can just get out of those stores do they want a bunch of empty properties mm. what do they think they can reasonably expect from these failing department stores it's in their interest to have properties that are filled and at least generate some sort of monthly income but this week's decision suggests not
0: well yeah they they, they suggest they can fill them with other i think they said large-scale retailers or it's a kind of mixed use retail that's that's or sort of mixed use even not even necessarily retail well mixed nature.
2: use is, is a really interesting theme we're going to look at this in a feature hopefully um in the not too distant future because even the pub groups actually have started to lease some of their extra space haven't they and it's incredible to see these companies that have such exposure to to leases and lease liabilities, which, of course, are going to cause us even more aggro come the start of next year, really start to explore options on how they can make more money from that space.
0: But then look at Debenhams, which is another uh, department store retailer that's having a terrible time. Mm. Their shares have taken an absolute battering this week. And yep. we'll come on to why. But they, they obviously gave over some space to Patisserie Valerie, which... Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what's what's the? Why has Debenhams taken such a pounding this week? Because there's been no bad news from them specifically.
2: There's been no bad news from them specifically, but of course, people familiar with the sort of end of the market and particularly familiar with Mike Ashley's uh, extensive high street portfolio will know that Sports Direct has a thirty percent holding, pretty much in Debenhams. Um, So I think the market was possibly doing a bit of read across on on what had happened at House of Fraser thinking if the landlords are going to hold fast on these rents then what are the chances that Debenhams which itself has said it will need to renegotiate rents on many of its large properties to stay afloat if if House of Fraser can't do that and and Mike Ashley can't do that then what makes them think Debenhams will achieve the same thing yeah actually
0: we we had Debenhams on a on a sale didn't Mm -hmm. we for and and it, that was a kind of contentious call because they'd fallen so far. But we we now
2: have it on a sell as well.
0: Yeah, no, no, but that's yeah. what I mean. Even after falling,
2: well, they, yeah, they have
0: continued to fall, and you might have thought that they'd reached the bottom. But yeah, that's well, I will I
2: case. will let readers into into a sort of behind the scenes moment at the IC, which was going to a weekly tips meeting with Algie, and I sat down and I presented Debenhams as my sell idea, and I said, I know what you're going to say, Algie. It's already down seventy odd percent. Why are we selling now? And he just looked at me and said because it's going bust.
0: <laughs> yeah, well... And
2: I said, well, well, yeah. So that that is, you know, it's a very aggressive sell case on that. I don't see that company rising from the ashes unless it goes through something extremely um, significant like a CVA, but we all know that those have dilutive effects on shareholders and retail retail shareholders get battered in that process. So it's yeah. no
0: good. But you're glad you're taking on the farmer beat now. <laughs> Some good news, finally.
2: I know, well, this year's been a nightmare for tipping, I have to say. Um, so, yeah, hopefully a bit more... Uh, good news from pharma absolutely um
0: let's finish off with first group uh i know we didn't we said we weren't going to talk about it uh too much because phil has done uh, a very big piece on first group this week looking in detail at its accounts but yeah this is this is i mean it's, it's not the worst share price i've seen but it's kind of reflective of this company's. uh yeah not
1: really funny the best for, a, either for, though, for a
0: transport group not going anywhere fast
1: yeah certainly not Uh, Yeah, especially its greyhound business too, because they've decided to wind up a lot of the operations in Western Canada, which was a big portion of their operations before. And yeah, a 28.5 million charge on the business wiped out group profits for the interims. So it's, it's not looking good.
0: Is there anything good in this business? I mean, it's still got Greyhound in America, which yeah. people still use. Uh, yeah,
1: I just Greyhound had such a struggling time because the just short haul flights have become so much cheaper, right? And it's just a much nicer experience than sitting on a coach for how many hours, when you can get on a plane, be on for an hour, get off the plane.
0: Yeah, although I hear some of the uh, short haul operators in the US would give uh, Ryanair a run for their money in the customer service stakes, but uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's more for uh, amount of time spent on there, maybe less than the customer service sense, but. Uh, the the first student the school bus brand, uh, division is not too bad.
0: These the big old yellow buses.
1: Yeah, those big old yellow buses. Yeah, they're big in North America as well. And they've had a bit of a tough time just in the sense that they're finding it quite hard to find drivers and that will accept the salaries that they pay them. They have they're being forced to pay them more now.
0: But mm. well, this seems to be the story of everywhere.
1: Yeah, everywhere really. But yeah, so that's um not going too badly. They tend to have quite good um history with retention rates and new contract wins so yeah. that's kind of a brighter spot i suppose
0: yeah travel not a not a not a pretty sector either uh, actually there was some other news this week which hasn't made it into the magazine which is dark group
1: yeah shows are down like 18 percent last time i looked before we came downstairs
0: yeah this is so this is uh Jet-Soo holidays I've Seen the adverts that's right package holidays are people not going on holiday anymore
1: uh they that's not really so much the problem they it's They expanded capacity by 24% in the number of uh, plane seats available, which when you look at an industry, like you look at Flybe that expanded way too quickly and it ended up being their downfall. And you get companies like an EasyJet where they're, you know, they they increase capacity, but at a much slower rate, a 24% increase over an interim period seems incredible. But I mean, at this point, they did still manage to increase load factor and the number of passengers. Which is so it's so far it's good, but it just kinda of makes you wonder like that's a huge increase for a six month period.
0: Yeah, in fact it, it ties neatly with my editorial, which is also on airlines. But I found a quote from Warren Buffett who described um, the worst sort of, this is his quote the worst sort of business is one that grows rapidly, requires significant capital to engender the growth and then earns little or no money, think airlines.
1: And transport in general, really.
0: Transport in general. So uh transport of people. Transporting right. stuff around seems okay. For now, I suppose. Okay, thank you, Julian. Thank you, Harriet. Um, yeah, lots, lots of ground covered there. There is lots more in the magazine. It's in fact our investment trust special, uh, and there are pages and pages of ideas devoted to uh, investment Trust, which our readers love, um, which uh, they will no doubt be talking about on their podcast tomorrow. We've got all the, all the usual comments. Algy, uh, in fact, has added a little bit of extra comment this week. His uh, his further reading series, which we're planning to roll out a little bit more extensively in the new year. Obviously, Dillo. Obviously, Thompson uh, doing their their usual thing. Uh, a very busy week on the results front as we've alluded to and does that continue next week is certainly
2: it certainly does hooray
0: <laughs> all the usual tips we have uh, john rosier's diary he's had a horrible october as well as i think most people have and yes well there you go that is the investors chronicle this week investment trust special investments for all seasons investment trust ideas to suit all market conditions particularly apps given the market conditions we are experiencing at the moment pick up the magazine and all good news agents four pound ninety, or get online and subscribe see you again next week